0: Welcome to episode 46 of The Bluest Tape. I'm Harvey Couch, alongside Jeff Kola. And happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, Thanks for joining us as we take our weekly trip through the live catalog of Widespread Panic. Um, Jeff, big Valentine's Day plans this year?
1: You know, I don't think so.
0: I doubt it. Um,
1: You know, we'll... uh The thing that I think I'm more excited about is to see what uh, my son's school does. Um, Because I remember Valentine's Day in school, and I always thought it was... Like Garfield cards, you know, Valentine's cards and stuff. perforated Garfield cards with, like, a red heart sticker, or a sucker, like, uh, scotch tape to it. Yeah. I was a big fan of that. Big fan of that. So, we'll see what they do. But other than that, you know, maybe we'll... uh, go out as a family and get some pizza how about you harvey
0: no big plans for valentine's day but my wife is one of those people who doesn't uh, generally make a big deal out of that out of it but if, if i don't give her anything she usually points that out too um <laughs> and i definitely very many fond memories of valentine's day in uh, grade school um and our kids are in in a montessori school for like their preschool right now which we love but one of the things is that it's a Montessori school and so it's like, you know, we don't bring Valentine's Day cards because then it's mm. like, you know, it's a fake holiday and kids don't understand love when they're four and five years old. So, <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it, but it's also sort of like, ah, oh, it's kind of a bummer. You know, that was a fun part of, but maybe as, you know, five-year-olds, they don't really need to be involved in that. I remember
1: in kindergarten, a kid in my kindergarten class I think it was Ben Stotts, but I'm not sure. Ben, if you're listening, hello. Um, <clears throat> I haven't seen Ben in a long time. But uh, he gave me a 1981 Don Kocraft Tops Football card. <laughs> wow. I don't know why I remember that. That was in 1984. But for some reason, that has stuck with me that that's what I got in my Valentine from Ben Stotts. So, thank you, Ben. I uh, have always appreciated those efforts.
0: Um, not exactly like a, I thought you were gonna say, like a you know nineteen eighty one Cal Ripken rookie card or something. It wasn't.
1: <laughs> no, well, no, that would have been eighty two. But I appreciate the uh, the randomness of the Don, Don Cockcroft Co- 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 uh, card because he was a punter. Wow. And I think it might it might even be like a single bar uh, helmet punter.
0: You know, that's card. something that I, like as I've continued to watch uh, these Super Bowl videos, you know, that's the thing that struck me. Uh, a lot it's not as big a deal anymore but like i feel like back in the day it was like the variety of helmets was such an interesting mm-hmm. thing you know like you had the you had like guys that were still rocking the single bar like as like wide receivers and stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? you're like oh my god that's crazy but then like you know but or guys that would have like the double bar which is not not a whole lot of protection um i remember mark duper rocked the double oh, bar as a yeah. wide receiver you know late into the 80s but mm-hmm. um that was something I don't know if that was just something I noticed as a, you know, as an adolescent or if it was just that if it was that much different back then. Because I guess because there was such a big variety, like whereas now they mostly all just have big face masks. Um,
1: I, th- I think um, so Don Cocroft does have the single bar helmet. I'm looking at it right now. Thank you, Google machine. I always equated uh, fewer bars in the helmet with the exception of Mark Duper, as I assumed that they weren't as good. <laughs> 'Cause they, cause they just looked because yeah, they didn't need it. Like uh-huh. you're not either you don't play much or whatever. But I just it just they always look so silly with this that single bar helmet. Mm. And I just assumed that oh if they get a single bar, it's not that that means they're maybe there's not that very good. Um Yeah. It's a it is funny. Like now since everybody's got so much so many pads on and they got multiple tons of bars in front of their face and face masks and all that stuff um,
0: was uh was scott norwood was he a single bar the super bowl when he went uh wide right he might have been I feel like he might I have been i feel like that's one of the later you know appearances of a single bar yes he does have a single bar very have, good
1: yeah. and actually the picture the top picture on google images is of him of course uh, of what uh of the aftermath of, of, of missing the field goal Hand hand to face. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. And there's actually a photo of a guy wearing a Scott Norwood jersey with the name and the number wide right. That's pretty funny. Mm.
0: Mm. Well, uh, only here on the Bluest Tape can we talk about <laughs> Valentine's Day and end up talking and, about... <laughs> hel- single bar kickers? <laughs> Helmet face mask styles of the late 80s. <laughs> early and late 80s. Um, all right, well, so uh, it is Valentine's Day, so that is... Uh, That's the theme this week. Um, But before we get to the music, Jeff, uh, besides, you know, um, Valentine's Day cards or uh, 1981 Topps football cards, do you have anything good to share with the people this week? Well,
1: since we're talking about old sports cards, I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't recommend this book by Josh Wilker called Cardboard Gods, An All-American Tale Told Through Baseball Cards. And... It's a great book. Um, I think it's great. It is, um, he sort of tells the life, his his life story, his biography through baseball cards from the 1970s on up through the 80s, and has some ridiculous images of, you know, not even B-list players, more like F-list <laughs> players. Um, I mean, it's just amazing, you know, when Topps is, Topps is the only game in town, and they had, you know, 660 cards for a long time, and then they were, I think, 660, and then 792 uh-huh. later, and, how many cards they had to fill All right. and like, and how many just obsolete unheard of players they had to put in those things. And um, so he's got a lot of random players. My favorite is he talks about um, Herb Washington and his 1975 tops card where he's listed as a pinch runner. Like that's, that, <laughs> That's his position, which is pretty amazing. But the best line is, as recounted on the back of his 1975 card, Washington entered 91 games in 1974, his first season in the majors. He stole 28 bases and was caught stealing 16 times. Uh So as a pinch runner, he was caught stealing 16 of 44 times. That is not great.
0: Um, So was he literally only, did he not actually play? He played in 70-some games and never actually, like, was had a plate appearance, or did, he must have yeah. done some.
1: Most of the time, yeah. he just he just was a pinch runner. Huh. So that's pretty. You have to be. That's you know. I can't believe they wasted a roster spot on that. Um, but he has a website too, cardboardgods.net, that he updates pretty regularly. The book's been out for a number of years now, but it's pretty it's pretty entertaining, and especially as somebody who collected a bajillion baseball cards and used to. You know, when I went through the grand reorganization a few years ago and sorted them over a Christmas break when I didn't have much going on, it's like you just look at these things. Like, how are the? How, these guys were professional athletes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a bizarre thing now. You know, they miss the days of Jesse Orozco, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that's why I love Bartolo.
0: Right? Cologne, yeah, big fat Bartolo Colon.
1: Who gives gives hope to every man? Right? <sighs> so. Anyway, cardboardgods.net and then cardboard, cardboard gods, the book by uh, Josh Wilker. It's a great book.
0: Oh, right, that's good. Okay, so I might need a ruling on whether mine. I mean, I, I, we can make. A, I guess it's my rules. We can do whatever we want. <laughs> but, um, so I want to choose a, a food that I discovered this week. Um, that counts. That counts. Okay. Good. So especially uh, if
1: it's from Trader Joe's.
0: Well, it's no, but it's close. So. <laughs> um, I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of uh, Oreo cookies. Uh, awesome. I would say that you know, cookies and cream is probably my favorite ice cream flavor, and um, I don't know that that an Oreo cookie is my absolute favorite cookie because I mean a cookie is a pretty wide you know. Hard to argue with a really good chocolate chip cookie or you know what I mean. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna marry myself to the Oreo cookie, but I'm a fan. So every once in a while I'll splurge and, and buy myself a, you know a sleeve or something. Well, I'd I'd heard on another podcast, um, so so I'll have to give credit here, um, the talk show with John Gruber, and he's a great follow too on Twitter at Gruber. It's a lot of Apple uh, tech talk, but also uh, you know pop culture and stuff. And uh, he made this recommendation that uh, the the Paul Newman brand Oreos, which are called Numinos, are Mm -hmm. far superior vastly superior to standard Oreo cookies. Um, and so I was like, well, that's, you know, that's a pretty bold statement. So um, so I, had to, I tried them out. We were at, uh, I, I got them at Whole Foods maybe. We don't go to Whole Foods very often, but I saw them there and I was like, oh, I'll try them. Um, and uh, I have to say, they, I mean, I, I think I would follow that. I think they are maybe superior to standard Oreo. Um, I think just the the taste is a little better. The maybe it's just like a little bit thicker than the standard Oreo, as far as the the icing filling. It's not like a double stuff, you know, which is sort of cr- ridiculous, too much icing. But it's like maybe just a little bit more, and um, yeah, I'm a big fan. So uh, I don't know that I that I need to buy Numenos all the time, but I'm uh, that's that's my endorsement for for Oreo cookies is Numenos.
1: So this is when we need a uh, production intern so that they can hit the drop of a um, horribly offended Stephen A. Smith
2: sound. This dude is the epitome of a disgrace.
1: Would <laughs> that be coming from make. your side of the... <laughs> that would be coming from my side.
0: Okay.
1: Because I'm sure they're good. Um, we're big fans of the Trader Joe's JoJo's oh. um, in, our, in our house, mm. which I do like those quite a bit, but... I mean,
0: come on.
1: Really? I'm telling Better you, than Oreos? I'm telling
0: you. You need to try them. I'll I, was try skepti- I was skeptical. And even after the first one, I was like, yeah, I mean, there's nothing. I was it's like, like, they're fine. They're not, like, terrible. But after about the second or third, like, when I went back a couple days later, yeah, by the end of the, the box, I'm just like, I'm pretty much all in on Numinos.
1: Wow. So So I think I may have had these at some point in time, but we're going to go get a box and then we'll debate this, Okay. but, um, and this could go on for a while, but I think that the Oreo, I probably, you know, I wouldn't say I scoffed, but I like homemade baked goods. I make my own whatever, but Oreos are good because they're really chocolatey, um, much more so than like JoJo's are jojo's i like because the filling is really sweet mm. but i think that the oreo is a good balance so that's why i always like the oreo and the chocolate and plus mint in their um the mint oreo blizzard is like one of the greatest mm. uh things ever yeah. so well this is wow we've opened up a whole thing <laughs> yeah, of we've thing, gone of, in all directions of, of, of the thing so this is something well uh-huh. we should talk about music then okay oh is that what uh, we do yeah Awesome. so we chose we chose, took the valentine's day theme um well i guess we took it literally we don't really have love songs first per, per se um i mean we have love love in air quotes songs um today but i think we've got some good picks and i'm kind of excited about the first one we chose because it is one of the more random things that panic has ever done um Um, In
0: any show, really. I mean, I think I would maybe go on a limb and say this is the most random thing that they have ever done. Yeah, probably. Period. Um, I I mean, is there anything else? No. I mean, like, you know, to open a show with a random guest playing a random song? Like, I just don't think there's anything comparable.
1: No, probably not. And especially who the guest is and what the guest (laughs) is singing. So (laughs) without giving it away, let's just go right into the music. This is... Widespread panic at the Capri in Charlotte, North Carolina, February 24th, 1994, with a special, special guest getting started.
2: I love, I love,
1: widespread panic at the capri in charlotte north carolina february 24th 1994 it's it's a it's an honor for me to say this can't help falling in love with special guest ren elvis on vocals into Chili water
0: yeah it's a special moment <laughs> <laughs> um so firstly just about about this guy uh I don't even know, like, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, how does he, like, did, how does he end up on stage with with Panic in February of 1994? Like, he's clearly, he's sort of well-known in Charlotte circles as a, as an Elvis guy, but, like, I mean, there are Elvis impersonators in every city in America. Like, you know, what, why this guy at this moment?
1: Well, first of all, Harvey, they're tribute artists, not impersonators. (laughs) Um, but, um, well, you know, I think it's, well, this could be a whole, this could be a whole show unto itself, but I think there is some novelty in a, well, at that time he would have been in his late forties, probably. Um, and he's not just some dude from Charlotte. He's a Filipino immigrant who hoped to have a recording career, I believe doing country music, right? And, um, and ended up doing these Elvis songs and become sort of this beloved Charlotte institution. And again, I have to say that Can't Help Falling in Love is one of my favorite Elvis songs. It's the song Elvis always used as a set closer in the 70s. It's the song that my wife and I walked down the aisle to after we, after we said our vows. The Can't Help the Fast, Can't Help Falling in Love outro. Um, so I will, it's, it holds a special place mm. and I got to say that this is not the best version of that song. <laughs> okay. That said, I cool. thought it was, this was always one of those things again, when you, like we've talked about a lot, when you spend a lot of time on the everyday companion and you just start looking at set lists and like, that looks interesting. That looks interesting. That was one that always jumped out like, huh? Yeah. Really? Um, and then. The tape was never around, as right. pointed out on Panic Stream, how that's when Panic wasn't allowing t- audience taping because they were thinking about doing a live album and how the tape kind of came to be. It's all on Panic Stream, so check it out, where you can uh, listen to the second set. And I do I do think it's worth a listen because the this, this show is pretty good overall. Um, the chilly water is pretty intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just sort of a, a random. It's about as random as it can get for for widespread Panic, I guess, without a doubt.
0: Yeah, so spring '94 was uh, there's, there. There started to be more tapes coming out, and even some soundboards I think have come out. But you know, originally there was no taping in that tour, and I guess they were allegedly working on a live album, um, mm-hmm. which would be great to to hear if they wanted to release it now, 24 years later. But um, this, I guess, apparently some tapers snuck in a home analog deck and duct taped it stereo mic to the wall by the by the fire exit <laughs> and that was the source <laughs> so it's not fantastic but it's still pretty cool so um i'm glad that that they shared it and, and we got to hear it um so i want to play right now just a clip from uh, a story that uh wfae which is the npr news station in charlotte north carolina did about uh renee escarcha who is a uh, filipino native and immigrant and uh you know immigrants get the job done and uh so this is just a bit they did about him and and a little bit of his story um as a what what are they called tribute artists elvis tribute artists etas so this is a a little bit about ren elvis
1: it may be impossible to describe Rene Escarcha in one word. The 69 year old Filipino immigrant is a father, former substitute teacher, at one point a Walmart greeter, former seminary student, and he's also Charlotte's Elvis. Close your eyes and listen to this 1993 recording
0: and hear for yourself.
2: Love be tender. Yeah, and then a lot of times somebody would tell me, you know what, you're even better than Elvis. said, why? Elvis is dead and you're still alive. <laughs>
1: he's on the shorter side with thinning hair and has a belly laugh that fills a room. Yet for the last 25 years, he's found regular work booking shows anywhere he could in Charlotte and the state of North Carolina.
0: So that was just a clip from uh, Sarah Delia and WFAE NPR in Charlotte. We um, appreciate... Uh, their uh, work on, sh- on uh, telling a little bit of story about uh, this <laughs> pretty interesting character, Ron Elvis. Um All right, so let's move on to uh, the to stuff that Panic has played that doesn't involve uh, Filipino Elvis tribute artists. And uh, <laughs> So we'll move ahead a couple years to the fall of 1996. And I feel like I mean, I'd like to see a a statistic about the number of episodes of the bluest tape that has had a piece from 1996 in it, because I'm guessing it's <laughs> pretty high. Yes. <laughs> seems like lit. we always end up touching there. So eventually we'll probably touch all the shows of that year. But, um, so we go to the fall of 1996. This is, uh, the night after Halloween, November 1st, 1996 at the uh, Majeska in Milwaukee. And, um, this is, uh, pretty early in the first set they uh, open things up with uh, a really nice sleepy monkey makes sense to me and then they roll into this
1: November first, nineteen ninety-six, at the Majesca Theater in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, widespread Panic. In the first set, with Gradle into a pretty intense version of "Just Kiss My Baby," the Meter song.
0: I had um, I used to wear this show out uh, on cassette and like DAT and CD and every version, um, but I hadn't listened to it in a while. I guess it's a is it a port songs release? You yes, get I think from, so. From the band? Um and. I hadn't really visited it in a while. And, and I guess it, it's one of those things where... I mean, obviously, the set list is fantastic. Um, but you sometimes don't remember like the moments that make a show stand out. you know. And so I think this Just Kiss My Baby is one of those where it was like I was listening to it and I was like, God, I mean, it's just like so good. And, you know, it's just the fourth song of the show. And um, they just... I mean, it's just—I don't know—it's just on point, and uh, it, the whole show was pretty much like that. But um, I mean, the Sleepy Monkey opener is one of my favorites, and but it just shows you how sort of locked in this band was because just, we just played the show three nights before this uh, in Kalamazoo, that you said was the greatest show of the fall of '96, right? And I did. it's like—I mean—they haven't even—and they—they went from. Kalamazoo to Cleveland to Chicago and now to Milwaukee, and it's like they i mean it's just like they're at hundred twenty miles an hour every night, and they go the next night to Columbus, which I think is one of you know maybe this like the most underrated shows of all time and uh so it's just uh it's a band at at their absolute peak as far as I'm concerned, or at least you know in some um moment of development that it's just Amazing to listen to.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, this whole show is great. This is a really great version of this track um, of Just Kiss My Baby. I think the, it's one of those songs where it's just that vamp, that school's vamp, right. you know, with the bass and, and stuff. But the part that stands out, it's like Hauser's just guitar is just like snarling oh. like throughout the whole thing. It just is, it's a really, it's a nice and raunchy version of the song, um, which, you know, I think is
0: appropriate for the content that we've chosen for the evening. Um, yeah. I mean, of, <laughs> those, those two songs, you know, Gradle and Just Kiss My Baby don't, I guess I don't, they weren't like necessarily my first thoughts when I thought about Valentine's Day. Um, but both, I think are pretty fitting to the theme um, and maybe in, in slightly different ways, <laughs> but, <laughs> but a cool, you know, uh, one, two punch at least.
1: So we'll move on to uh, summer tour, 1998, the traveling light tour. Which finds the band uh, early on in the tour out on the west coast of these United States. And we'll, we'll pick up with them in George Washington at the beautiful Gorge Amphitheater um, at the start of the second set, and I, with a great version of a J.J. J. Kale classic.
3: Things do. Hey, hey, hey! Let me talk to you. I just wanna whisper in your sexy ear, tell you that I love you, wipe away your fears. This morning, ride me out tomorrow.
0: June 7th, 1998, from the beautiful gorge in George Washington, which I have to say, for the very first time, I never even thought about the fact that the city was named, like, the same name as the first president, George Washington, until just when you entered it and you said George Washington. I just always thought of it as George, and I never thought that it was George Washington, just aside. So that was the, (laughs) uh, it was like the fifth or sixth show of this Traveling Light Tour, and, um, you heard, uh, right at the beginning of the second set, it was a port song opener and then a ride me high love tractor, which are, um, two pretty fitting songs for Valentine's day. Especially with the
1: alternate title of love tractor, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I, I, no need to say it. Don't need to say it. You, those, no who to know, say it. those who know, know.
0: those who know, no, that's right. Um, all right. So we have still got some more to play. Um, We've got a couple selections from the year 2001. We're um, only about a week or so apart from each other. Um, the first one is from November 2nd, 2001. And that was, this is a show that you were at, right? Yeah, Dane County Coliseum.
1: Um, In and Madison, and, and,
0: Wisconsin. In and- and Madison,
1: I was just going to say, the Dane County Coliseum, as we've talked about, my love for the the big flying saucer-looking arenas of mm-hmm. the late 60s, mid to late 60s. This is certainly one of them. And um, first time Panic, first and only time Panic has played in the Dane County Coliseum. They played in the building adjacent to it, the Exhibition Hall, a few times. Um, but this is a venue where The Dead played some of its best shows ever, actually, 215 mm-hmm. and 1025, 73. Yeah. Two four two three seventy eight. sorry um so those are it's a it's a great building everybody played there at one point in time hendrix bruce clapton uh, i think the allman brothers played there once um so it's 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 a great old building and it was cool that panic actually got a chance to play there
0: um so we're gonna pick things up here in the second set oh and speaking of venues that was the from the gorge that was the first time that panic had played the gorge First time they played it, uh, then they played it again in 2005, Two Nights at the Gorge, and they haven't been back since. So, um, all right, but we'll head to the Dane County Coliseum in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and uh, this is uh, November 2nd, 2001. Uh, This is the second set leading up to drums, uh, and with their good friends, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band.
1: November 2nd, 2001, Madison, Wisconsin at the Great Dane, the Dane County Coliseum. Um, middle of the second set, Red Hot Mama into Arlene and back into Red Hot Mama with the Dirty Dozen Brass Band. Um, as Harvey mentioned before, we played the selection, I was I attended the show, I attended the St. Paul Show the night before, which we played a couple episodes ago with um, uh, the Brown Ales Show and then the Halloween Show in Chicago and, and obviously on 1031. Um this show honestly started out as the best show of that run. Um, great action man opener, Holden. Weak brain was awesome. First, second New Blue that the band ever played, um, which was a fun song. Ophelia, wandering into Genesis, and you're just like, this is the first set's going. And then I know we've talked about flip the bird encores, <laughs> but is there such a thing as like
0: flip the bird first set closers? Couple-
1: for Flip the Bird first set closers, is there, or we need to come up with another name for it. So if mm. anybody has any suggestions, but don't tell the band Chunk of Coal at the end of a first set. It's just, give me a freaking break.
0: Um, Could be like Premature <laughs> something.
1: <laughs> something or other. That's good. Premature something or other. Mm. Um, so second set starts. Give Hatfield one arm, Steve. Great. Yeah, that was a good, especially the Hatfield's really good. And then the Dirty Dozen comes out. And this selection that we played is pretty good, but it also is indicative of sort of what had happened with the Dirty Dozen, where it got a little um, is stale, extra stale, or as the kids like to say, extra. Oh. Um, at this point, where it just is, I didn't, I didn't come to hear the Dirty Dozen jam. Yeah. They uh, the horns are not there to, for in, in in panic, in the panic realm. Are not there for jamming. They're not there for avant-garde exploration. <laughs> just, just play the stuff. Play it. But and what always just play the hit.
0: Play the hits, man. Just it. fill it. <laughs> well, just fill. That's all you gotta do. Fill. Just fill the sound.
1: Take some breaks, but like the 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 jam into drums is just one of those jams from you know po- again 99 in summer 2000 and 2001. So I'll, 99 and 2001 especially. It's just like there's these jams in and out of drums and other places that are just, they don't really do it. They don't do anything for me. They don't really go anywhere. Um, This is a good example of that. And it didn't bother me that much until I found out that they had to cut songs from the set Mm. because they did too much, frankly, wanking before (laughs) before drums.
0: And... The did Greta, you know which song was was there? Like, did you know which there was a song they cut, was
1: the, Yeah, they cut stop go Ugh. because oh. there's a stop there's a stop go tease before before Greta. Yeah. like right. it was on on the board supposedly, what I was told. And stop go um, Greta
0: cream puff War is that makes sense <laughs> as opposed to drums,
2: you know?
1: Absolutely. So the Greta is super short. The Greta is only like seven and a half minutes long. Hmm. And then it goes into Cream Puff, which was great. And then again, North is a good song. It's not really a solo encore tune, but it, you know, whatever it fits. They were in Wisconsin. It just, it it happens. But it's like that was that this show was one of those shows. I remember I was was standing and standing behind the, the, the soundboard cage with your arms crossed yes i was talking to somebody another a taper who i will i won't incriminate him huh. but just standing there and just i remember saying we were talking about this show the couple of nights before and i just were it just was, oh, was so bitching it was terrible um but anyway it was actually this was one of the moments that i sort of decided that i needed to s- upbreak mm. from from the band
0: maybe um, maybe it's like it's not you it's me kind of thing yeah right? you know, I mean
1: it really it, it was because I didn't go to anything in 2002 and again I wish I now I wish I had because of what happened obviously with with Hauser's untimely passing but because I and I was stubborn but it was also just it was that I just say like, I didn't like I didn't like the experience right
0: um, well and I think because, I mean I think to be honest that I mean nothing against I think there's Plenty of really good stuff in 2001, but I do think that the playing was generally more um, concise in 2002. You know, mm-hmm. uh, than than it was maybe at this point in 2001. But um, yeah, no, I, I feel you. Um, I I had to listen to this honestly like two or three times because I'll, you know, we'll as we're as we're putting these shows together, you know, we each make suggestions and then you know. We'll maybe listen to stuff and figure out what what works better. And, you know, I'm not always able to, like, sit down, you know, in a dark room and put headphones on and listen to panic for hours. So it's just on during the day or it's on when I'm, like, you know, washing dishes or, like, getting dinner ready or, you know, doing work or whatever. And, like, the first two times I listened to this, I was like, now, what are we – what am I listening to? Is this – Is it Arlene? Red Hot Mama. Arlene. What is the? Where is the Red Hot Mama part? Are we still in the jam? Or like, I got really confused about like the structure of this quote-unquote sandwich. And so, like today, I was able to actually like listen pretty, um, you know, studiously. And I really feel like the the second half of Red Hot Mama is. is kind of a like a liberal interpretation. I mean, there's like yes. it, it, you could probably honestly put it down as "Red Hot Mama Jam" after Arlene in the notes, and that's probably more mm-hmm. apt. I mean, they like they like hit the theme for like 10 seconds, and I mean maybe a little bit longer than that, but there's no more lyrics, and there's really just a couple you know phrases of the you know of the the main theme, and that's about it. And uh, so I guess that's what kept throwing me off, was I was just sort of expecting the, like, come back and, you know, hit Red Hot Mama like they did in, you know, the, the Halloween 98, right? The, the Red Hot Mama that's Superstition it. Red Hot Mama. It was like, it came back in and it was like, clearly, like, this is the second half of the song. Um, and they just didn't do that here. Uh, I, do th- I thought the transition from Red Hot Mama to Arlene was really slick, and I'm surprised mm-hmm. they didn't do that more often because it played well, really well together. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I think this is probably a result of, you know, having played, um, I mean, I love the Dirty Dozen, and I will go see them anytime they play, anytime, anywhere close to me. Um, And I love their collaborations with Panic, especially, you know, Halloween 98 and, you know, most of that Summer 99 tour I think is just great. I think we should do a couple episodes on that, honestly. Um, because they did some cool stuff, you know, cause they were playing every night. They couldn't just play the same stuff. Uh, and so they did some, some neat, um, you know, experimentation. Um, but I do feel like, you know, by this time it was like, you know, and they had played, this is, I guess what the third straight night that they had played with yeah. them on this tour. And so, um, I just feel like it, yeah, it, it had run its course by this point. No no, so, no offense at all to the dozen or to panic. I mean it just sort of and again, I think it may be more of a it's it's me, not you kind of thing. It's like I've just <clears throat> I've heard it enough that there's nothing new that, that the, the 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 like the amazing uniqueness of like the first time you hear those horns with a band in Halloween ninety eight, it was like, Where has this been my whole life, right? <laughs> this is like this yeah, perfect right. compliment to This band sound and um, so you know, I love it. It's just that you know, it's got its time and place.
1: So, you you saw the next show, right, in Columbus, right? Yeah, November 4th, which is a great show, it is, yeah. Um, and but I just looked, I just looked real quick at the timing. So, Red Hot Mama Arlene, you know, take it for what it is, but the jam, drums, and drums and bass. Uh, that's a half hour of music.
0: Are you counting that, the second half of Red Hot Mama? Because you yes, really probably should. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. All right.
1: The second half of Red Hot, you know, Red Hot Mama in quotes. Mm-hmm. You know, so Red Hot Mama jam drums, drums and bass is thirty minutes of right music, mm-hmm. and then seven minute Greta, and then a five, you know, you know, Cream Puff is what three and a half minutes, four right. minutes depending, whatever. True. So it's just one of those things where it's like, I. Uh, I should just stop because I could go for a while on yeah, this. No. But, but, I, will but say,
0: a, I will say, I'll give. I think there's a, there, uh there's some cool like themes on I Love Supreme. Um, yes. By schools, schools leading into the drums, and you know, again, yeah, you're playing some some, some avant garde jazz fusion there, but you know, it's cool because <laughs> uh, you don't get to hear that all the time. But I don't know that that's worth the investment. <laughs> well, thirty the minutes right of a right right second right. set of a really hot show, you know.
1: Yeah, and then everybody's like, why did you guys pick this? They're like, well, because sometimes we pick things that are fun to talk about, even though
0: they're not necessarily the best
1: parts of the band. And it's not
0: so bad. I mean, I, God, no, I would pay, pay $1,000 to see that show tonight if I could. Huh? $1,000? To go see that that band play right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You wouldn't wow. go see like Mikey Panic? You wouldn't pay $1,000 to see them? 2001? Yes. Wow.
1: Oh yeah oh yeah, oh wow, Well, if they played like they played the next this next show we're gonna talk about, then yes, I probably would, um, so we jump ahead a little bit eight days to the conventional Asbury Park, which has been the home of some pretty good shows over the years. Four twenty two ninety seven, which, spoiler alert, you'll probably hear some of something about. That's the Paramount Theater, my fault. But Asbury Park has hosted Panic on several occasions, of course the famous Stone Pony Club, and then the Paramount Theater on April twenty second, ninety seven, which you'll probably hear from in the next few months month. Um, and then two thousand one, where they play at the convention hall. And this is overall, this is a good show. All the way through, great AFD opener, um, a fish water in the seven slot in the first set after down. Um, and then get started in the second set. This is headed into drums, low rider, Hatfield, Henry Parsons, drums, vacation, um, which is pretty strong. And then we go to the opener, or sorry, the opener, the closer, the encore. Um, and two songs that sh- go together like, Peanut butter and jelly, but really have never spent any time <laughs> together, and they should. Uh, let's get let's kick it off with bow-legged woman. Mm-hmm.
0: November 10th, 2001, from the Convention Hall in Asbury Park, New Jersey, right on the boardwalk. Um, The encore, bow-legged woman, flat-foot floozy. Um, i got to think, something... I mean, it was a Saturday night, so I guess floozy makes sense. But it just seems like that's such a... um, Seems like there was intention behind <laughs> that pairing. <laughs> something yeah. happened, or somebody—you know what I mean—that you, you wouldn't think otherwise. Those two would. Uh, Normal. I mean, I guess they make sense together, but it seems like there is something behind it.
1: It's the only time they've ever been adjacent to one another in yeah. on a set. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was thinking about. You know, in the days of making mixtapes, like if you made a mixtape for a girl and you put these two songs on it back to back. (laughs) Good God. It sends the wrong message. Um, But this is some this is some fantastic playing. The Bowlegged is nasty. Um, And Floozy is always a great, great song. Um, You know, Engage JB is one thing, but schools on Floozy is a a good time. Um, And so, yeah, this is a good selection. I'm glad we chose it.
0: The, uh, you know, I, mean, I think a lot of people hold the October 27th 2001 bow-legged as sort of the gold standard there's a great you know video of that um, from the from uh, Lakefront arena in New Orleans from the from the 2001 pre- Halloween run um, and JB just sort of goes on and on about you know records and you know <laughs> going up going upstairs to you know his friend's room and um, and this is sort of like along this, is, this will be the next time they played it, ten days or I guess about twelve days later, and uh, he plays along some of the same uh, themes, and uh, it's really it's really good. And uh, so I'd be interested to go back in time and see if maybe something before that show still had has some of that stuff, but um, it may just be that was a moment of time. These are the two versions that we got, um, but yeah, I really enjoy it. And um, the Asbury Park Convention. Hall is, I guess, you know, kind of a famous place. It was built in the in the late 20s, and there's been tons of shows there. Um, Zeppelin played there uh, on August 16, 1969, after their manager rejected an invitation to Woodstock. And, um, <laughs> and the opener that night was Joe Cocker, who played that before riding up to Bethel to play the third night. Uh, the opener for the third, for the third day, nice. Where he played that sort of, you know, that historic set. But um, Skinner played there in '77. Yeah, there's um, a great.
1: Um, that's on YouTube. That's
0: part of Wolfgang's vault. That set. Um, oh, nice. That's good. That's a really good yeah. show. So the Doors, Pink Floyd, the Who, you know, Stones, Temptations. It's pretty good. Pretty good history there. Springsteen, I guess, apparently used to play like rehearsal shows there before mm, sure. tours. And people would like stand outside and listen. Um, it's pretty cool. So, yeah. So anything? Well, I,
1: hope, I was as to say, I hope we inspired everybody to go out and have a good Valentine's Day. And uh, especially with the, I don't know
0: how many minute rant of uh, about 2001 panic. But... Um, And I I, I got like two, you know, Stephen A. Smith disbelief reactions from you. (laughs) So I guess Uh, I don't know what that says about our relationship.
1: Well, the the second one was after we when we talked during the break, it makes more sense. I think I'm on board with you on the second one, but the Oreos one, we'll have to uh, debate that. To be determined. To be determined. Future episode. But uh, but yeah, I think we um, hope everybody enjoyed this episode and. Give them a little bit of a uh, valentine's day or post valentine's day soundtrack
0: yeah and um big big episode next week so i we don't want to reveal any spoilers but um we got we got a good show uh and and some some big news to share too so um make sure you subscribe and get notified when it comes in um all right well jeff thanks for for joining thanks uh, to all the good people out there um Thanks for taking the time, and um, definitely, you know, subscribe if you haven't, review us on iTunes, that way other folks can learn about it, Um, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter, and um, Jeff may or may not like a tweet that you send, if you send one to us, I'll actually respond, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but anyway, um, bluestape.com, at bluestape, on Twitter, and uh, on Facebook, so. Um, everybody have a great week and uh we'll see you next week this uh this week i guess we'll go out jeff i'll let you make the selection on which version but i figure uh this will be our only chance to play some elvis presley as a as rollout music for panic
1: it will be unless we play devil in disguise um this would be i think the only chance so this is elvis And this is from the That's the Way It Is era, or Las Vegas era, 1969, and can't help falling in love. Thank you. You're a beautiful audience, ladies and gentlemen. I'd like to do this song especially for you.
2: can't have fake